This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. It is my great pleasure, along with Mr. Kyle Hawks, to welcome Miss Aurora Mallette. Perfect. Sure. <laughs> Podcast over. I got the name right, right out of the box. So listen, Aurora, we are on about as far opposite ends of the country as we can be. So I'm always intrigued by agents that are in California that are dealing with things that are probably equally as frustrating as what we deal with in hurricanes and all of that. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. But first, before we do that, tell us a little bit about how you found your way into the insurance game. Um, I stumbled in probably like everybody else um, was doing medical claims processing. And some gentleman sat down next to me at lunch one day and said, hey, we have this new insure tech company that is starting up. We're holding open interviews. Um, you should come over and interview. And that company was called Innsweb Insurance. And that was in 2000. And I did a bunch of different roles through there before I finally got convinced to be a sales agent and pretty much um, rolled from there. I was stuck between agents, um, partial claims, underwriting, um, and then ended up back on the sales side. What kind of pushed you in the sales direction? Like what happened? Um, I was a service rep mm-hmm. and I was the highest converting cross sale service rep that they had. And so they came and said, we want you to come to the sales side. And I said, I'm not a salesperson because um, in my mind, a salesperson is a car salesman or a knife salesman. <laughs> yep. Um, and so the, the knife salesmen are the best, by the way. What was that? I, I, I said you, the knife salesmen are the best, by the way. You know I did that, right, Dave? I, no, geez, my God. Dude, <laughs> what didn't you sell door to door? Did you dude, sell I, rainbow I, vacuums I, or Kirby? Or, I mean, I, I, dude, I, I feel like, listen, I catch hell from you all the time. I know. For all of my life experiences, all of which are applicable. And I'm not arguing that yours aren't. But I swear to God, man, there is not a single door to door so I, I didn't do the knives. Do- I didn't do the knives door to door. So the way this happened was I was told when I was in college that um, 
I needed to get a job. <laughs> and so I went out, I, I was literally walking to class one day and there was some dude standing out there and he was like handing out, I don't know, some sort of flyer or whatever, talking about interviews for some sort of marketing gig. And I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. You know, marketing is kind of in line with, with a business degree. So, um, I showed up and it was, it was, it was to sell Cutco knives, um, ah. which are, you know, they're, they're dude, there's Uh-oh. nothing. Oh, here she goes. She's going to get her, her block. Uh, it I mean, there's nothing wrong. Came in the mail today. <laughs> there you oh, go. My goodness. See, that that's a legit good. one. That would have been a nice little paycheck for, for the D's <laughs> back in the day. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, so that basically they get you starting out like calling on your family and family friends and their friends. And you're supposed to just branch out and they show you like, you know, this success story is from these guys that are like driving BMWs and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like I'm, Listen, I'm like 18 years old in, in college. I'm like, okay, I could slang some knives, but that I, dude, I did it for like a month. I'm like, this is absurd. It was in the middle of the recession. I'm like, nobody is buying seven, $800 blocks of knives right now. I'm like, I could barely sell like my family friend, like a cheese grater. I'm like, dude, I, listen, number one, I want to get back to Aurora's story because it's far more interesting to me than your <laughs> selling of knives. But number two, <sighs> isn't that how they always do it? Like, why do you hide behind what your product is? It's not a marketing thing. You right. want me to sell something. And, and I'm going to go ahead and call a name out. I don't even care. Primerica. Okay. Yeah. Terrible. Right. Terrible recruiting strategy. When I moved down to Florida, as I was waiting to get licensed to go into the insurance industry, I was looking for something that I could do to make some coin while I was waiting. Right. And so it was advertised as Citibank was hiring because Primerica was owned by Citibank at that point. I don't know if they still are or not. It's the exact same thing, man. I mm-hmm. showed up, I look left and I look right. Nobody in there is doing financial planning for themselves, let alone anybody else. Like, I was with everybody who was looking for a free paycheck that read the classifieds that week. We get partway through and in comes Duke Kevorkian. Whether or not that's this guy's real name or not, I have no idea. I hope it but was. But he came in and they put up a slide of his Porsche out in the parking lot. And they were like, it just, it blows my mind. So Aurora, all that to say, yes, we have lived every iteration of what is known as a salesman in our life. So I'm glad you're not that. <laughs> So you got you got moved over from being you know you you viewed yourself not as a salesman. So did you give resistance or did you willingly go into that role as a cross seller? Well, I was already cross selling on the. On oh, I'm sorry, the, you went you were yeah, going directly into sales. So, um, I mean, he he did a couple things while he was in there. He's like, sell me this pen, things like that, and I did. And at the end, he's like, you're 100 percent a salesperson. Um, he's also this is where we need you. This is where we want you, and we're making the transition. Um, and I guess I was a sales person. I, I hit the president's club first month out um, because it's the same concept as customer service. It's what, okay, well, where's your auto? Where's this? And as an agent, I just started out right away with that mindset. And since I was the one that was doing all the errors on the policies and correcting them, it was a lot easier to sell the policy at the front um, correctly. So. Makes I went sense. in and then, yeah, it's just, I've just stayed in insurance sales since then. So bridge the gap for me. You're an independent agency owner now. How did that happen? 
Um, I was running a um, insurance division for a company called Paramount Equity Mortgage. Um, so they were huge out here. Um, it's, it's a company driven 100% by strong entrepreneurs. And throughout the years, they would like just kind of kept grooming me to, um, you know, do more within the organization, run more of it. And after seven years, I looked around and saw that my salary wasn't increasing, my responsibilities were increasing, my knowledge of how to run the agency was increasing, and I finally just decided that I didn't want to make that money for other people. So it's funny how that, yeah, it's funny how that happens. I think that um, at some point, all of us feel that way. And that's one of the reasons why with my agency, I want to make sure, and I know this is a controversial subject, so half of you out there are going to send me hate mail and I really don't care. Feel free to send it because I know I'm right. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, it's why I want everybody who helps me build my agency have an opportunity to gain equity in it. I think that it's a huge miscalculation um, for all of the arrogant pricks out there building agencies right now who think that they're doing it on their own back when you have a whole army of people that are helping you do that. And so it would be completely irresponsible and short-sighted of me to not let people like Kyle, who is my top producer, have the ability to be my partner and earn. He does, It doesn't get handed to him, but earn equity in the agency so that he doesn't go do what you and I have done. I, I had the same thing happen. I got to a point in my career where I looked at it and I'm like, I'm making 25 cents on the dollar. Somebody else is getting 75% of what I produce, you know, for renewals and 60% of what I produce for new business. And I'm selling my own intellectual capital and value proposition that I developed. I can go do this myself. And I, and I did. We're, we're very much that mindset. So we're one of the only agencies anywhere in California that I know of that every single producer, if they come in, have an opportunity to be a salary or a 1099 and own their own book. And so they get that option when they come in and they can take that book ownership portion. And if they want to create their own offshoot of an agency and then start to hire people under them, they have that option. But I get told all the time too, you're stupid, you're crazy. It's just going to be a bunch of business walking out the door. But I mean, we've been doing this for six years and it's sustained. So I'm 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 on the mindset of you. Like I want people to be here because they're invested, not because they're afraid to lose their book of business if they walk away. Yep, I agree. I agree. So you have got a couple of things that I know that you're known for, right? Like you're the car lady, <laughs> right? You got she has Kyle. She has a niche in in specialty cars and like Haggerty type or Haggerty okay. lady. Maybe you're the Haggerty lady. I, I don't it's, remember. It's called Haggerty girl. Haggerty, Haggerty girl. girl. Okay. Yep. I, I was trying to piece together what I remembered you say from your um, from your presentation. Haggerty you girl just has a better ring than Haggerty lady. Well, yeah. that's her. That's that's an actual brand, though. And shame yeah. on me for not not remembering that because I did pay attention the whole time, which is uncommon. I lose my train of thought a lot, <laughs> but um, to that and I know you do a lot of stuff with like just in from what I've seen in IAOA, uh, some of the wildfire insurance and things like that that happens out in California. Talk a little bit about, I guess, start with the wildfire stuff. That intrigues me because it's similar but different than what we deal with with hurricanes here. Because the state has a whole bunch of stuff that you can do. We don't really have that for a natural disaster here. 
Yeah, I mean, you have, I mean, in essence, right, citizens was your version of our fair plan almost, right? Right, and yep. So, I mean, and they do, and they, they created in the 60s um, after, in California, early California, you couldn't, if you didn't qualify for earthquakes, you couldn't get standard homeowner's insurance. There was no separation between the two of them. And so during the Watts riots, things went up in flames. People, it was down in LA, so they didn't qualify for earthquakes. Everybody was uninsured. So they came in and said, you have to at least offer this as insurance companies. You have to have at least this program for fire. And then later, wind and hail came into it. Um, but that's the essence of that state program. Um, but the wildfire. So is that, is, is that st- so that's just for the earthquake and stuff, though, right? So that's the earthquake and then it's fire. So fire um, and then vandalism, mischief, wind and hail is what the risk sharing. So it's not actually a government program. It is just a private company, risk sharing company that got set up um, and all property insurers have to pay into a portion and back a portion of this if you want to do business in, in California. So very similar to citizens, except, I mean, I'm sure there's something on the carrier side. Number one, I refuse to do anything at all with citizens. If I've got a friend that's an agency that has a contract with either citizens or the Joint Underwriters Association, there's a 100% chance all of that business will get referred. Just can't even begin to deal with the headaches of it. But I have friends that have agencies that that's really all they do almost. And they do very well because there's a lot of people like me that don't want to mess with it. But I do know that we funded it through, there there were some taxes that went on every single policy that was issued that helped fund citizens. But I mean, it got to the point, like when I first started in the industry back in 04, 05, Citizens was really about one of your only options, including ENS in some cases. And then as the property market softened, we had more and more carve outs happen. And then especially on the on the um, personal line side of things, you ended up with all of these. I mean, we probably had two or three dozen demo tech A rated carriers that ended up being citizens carve outs, which, by the way, are all folding now and pulling out of Florida. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. It sounds like it's, it's somewhat similar in terms of how that stuff was set up? Very. Um, And we're actually looking and we're looking at the history of Florida legislation wise, the changes that they did, um, how the marketplace kind of rose and fall and these companies that would come in. I mean, that's why I left Florida writing business in Florida is because it, it was too much work, right? Before anything in California, it was just, you're constantly moving. People were coming in the rate fluctuations, And so we've really looked at on the legislation side here in California, how do we prevent the same market collapse from happening with wildfire as it is out there um, with hurricane? So this this company, we've actually dealt a lot with California Fair Plan to broaden it and to offer more coverages through it to kind of beefen up the contract. Um, You can write it really good and it's it's a better viable solution than an ENS market would be. But there's still lots of gaps. There's still co-insurance clauses. There's things like that that people have to be aware of. And so, yeah, a lot of agents in this state are like, don't want anything to do it. Do with it. It's an errors and emissions nightmare. And so they they just pass it off to us. Yeah, once I realized that just the hoops you had to jump through to get appointed with citizens, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not sitting through any cl- any more classes doing any more of that stuff. I mean. For us, it's such a small percentage of what we would do anyhow. So, I mean, for those of you who think that I'm sitting high and mighty on my throne, scoffing at business, that's not the case. 
it's not what we do anyhow. So for me to do that would be a waste of time and energy for a very small percentage of our book. It's easier just to hand that off. And truthfully, to me, that is one of those things that could be a pretty big E&O nightmare if you don't know all of the ins and outs of it. So if it's not something that I'm comfortable with, I'm risk averse enough. I'd rather turn it over to an expert. I think that's, I think that's what a lot of us do. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where niche drives, right? If I wasn't in this niche, I wouldn't want to mess with it. It's time consuming. It's um, a lot of turnover, you know, it's, it's, but it's, it's what we're known for, right? (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. So knowing that it's time consuming and, and all of the things that go into it, What's what's the secret sauce or as much of it as you're willing to share that allows you to do that profitably, whereas other people don't? Um, well, when you know the marketplace, it's a very easy conversion on figuring out where a piece of property is going to go. Right. And we the, the I think the profitability comes in for us is that it's the number of leads that drive in and we have the ability to walk away from stuff. We have a really strong agent network out here that I know if it's better with state farm, I I can pull up my sheet and be like, you know what? I don't want to waste three hours because I know state farm is going to be the ultimate thing where it goes to. So I just connect into my state farm agent and we walk on. So it's the streamline of it that has become a profitable portion of it. And of course, the as you know, in Florida, the premiums are higher on a homeowner's policy, right? So if I write something in Sacramento area, I may earn $60, but I write something in high fire and I'm going to earn $600 in revenue off of it. So mm-hmm. you've got that influx of business plus the higher premiums thus becomes profitable. And most of these people are so thrilled that we found an option that's going to allow them to keep their home. And we do so much in the education portion out here and legislative wise that people don't want to leave because they're afraid they're going to get with an agent that doesn't know what they're doing. And then it's all going to fall apart for them. I I think that's a universal principle, regardless of what you write. I mean, Kyle, that's no different than what we do. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. When you were on the service side of things, you're able to take that and apply it to um, you know, your producer role where you know a little bit more about how the the policy works and what it should have in there. I think it's the same thing, just magnified a little bit. You know, it's interesting. It seems like, I don't know, I could be wrong in, in misinterpreting this, but it sounds to me like you get a, a, a bit of referral business from captives and vice versa. I, I There's like multiple agencies that I know out in California that do that. Like I've got a guy that I'm friends with that's got a three, three and a half million dollar revenue agency on the commercial side. And an overwhelming majority of his business is through his captive network that he's built that's referring stuff in, which is which is just crazy to me because this guy runs a middle market shop. Like who has a quarter million dollars in premium and goes into State Farm for a quote anyhow? But it works. And I mean, I think it's interesting because that's one of those things where when you're creative and you're willing to think in a way that other people aren't, you find revenue streams that other people will never find. Truthfully, that's one I never would have explored to begin with, but it works for a lot of people. I mean, I'm amazed at it. Yeah. I mean, there's the concept of you don't touch, right? What, what you're not writing, you don't touch, you don't solicit. I mean, you, you've got to create that trust network with those captives to begin with. Um, But the captives 
they want to keep some sort of control over what they can't so that the rest of the stuff doesn't go out the door. So I recognize that very quickly with creating because I created an open network out here with agents. And knowing that after just talking to a few of them, then it was very easy to go to state farms all over farmers all over and say, hey, this is what I know you can't touch. This is what our specialty is. You send us this. If I know something's going to qualify with your company, then I send it over to you to do the right thing. So um, it, it became just when I, especially when I first started the agency, talking to those state farm agents and having them send over, it, it just became a no brainer to keep building that out. Yeah. So it's interesting. You keep, you're, you're talking about an open network that you built. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, what does that look like? This is something that you put together with just, it's sort of like a, a formalized network of agents that refer business to each other and it's like trusted sources or how, how does that look and how did you go about doing that? Yeah. So, I mean, being in the, being in the niche portion of it, um, my part of my job, at least what I feel part of my job to be able to serve customers is to know the marketplace, not just know my marketplace, but to know all options that are out there. And you can't feed all options that were out there. So instead of me going and saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to get this appointment with Hartford or with Oregon Mutual or whatever, it was easier for me to say, these are my core. This is what I make money off of. These one shots um, I can send to Mariah Davis you know, Oregon Mutual to Mariah Davis, I can send, you know, Eric Scholey, my Hartford, um, you know, farmers, all of that. So when I started it, there was, of course, the apprehension from agencies, they were like, but what's your end goal? What do you want from me? Like, what are you looking for? Because most agents won't go to another agent and be like, hey, I just have a number of these accounts that I know are going to fall within the carrier that you have. I want to do what's best for the customer. I don't want anything back from you. And so it took a while for these agents to trust that and see that. And then eventually we created like a little Facebook group, like chat group. And so if there's an address that we can't place, we plug it in there and every agent that's in there goes, yeah, I can do it or I can't. And whoever has the best option, it just goes to. And so that continues to grow because other agents here like, hey, I know this is a part of it. I have this market. I'd like to be a part of it. And then we interview them based off of, Basically, are their core concepts always do what's best for the customer first? Um, how do we they relate to each other? Do they, you know, stay away from referral contacts? Things like that, because we deal with a lot of a- real estate agents. And so a lot of times they're going to get that contact information for your referral partner. Um, and we've had some people that have strayed and have tried to, like, pull that away from a referring agent and we kick them out immediately. So it becomes a very quick within this network, people call and they're like, hey, your customer called in. I'm not poaching, right? People are like very um, upfront and trying to be as honest as possible. So as they saw their revenue increase by being part of it, um, it's just solidified that relationship. We have 12 different agencies in Northern California that are part of us now. That's cool. So I do have a question. I realize it's probably loaded, but what would you, if you had to guess, what would you say the amount of premium that changes hands back and forth in that referral uh, network looks like? Yeah. I mean, I know I figured it out last year. We referred out just over $800,000 in rent and premium that closed to other agencies. Um, I do know that my state farm agent 
was number 12 in his region and now he's number three. <laughs> wow. There you go. That, That's a pretty, pretty good yeah. jump. So, I mean, we, we really pushed a lot of stuff to the point where, you know, they know one way or another, right. If they call the state, if they call my state farm agent and he can't do it, it's going to come to me. And they know if I, they call me, it's going to go, you know, it's going to get checked. So um, it's just increased his visibility within the area that he gets, you know, direct calls outside of me now as well. So when you guys refer this business back and forth, I just want to make sure this is abundantly clear for everybody out there. Is there like a sharing of commissions that happens or is it one hand washes the other and it pretty much just works itself out over time? Yeah, it is a hundred percent the customer first mentality. So we don't care if we don't get a dime from it. If the customer is in the better thing, it, just look at it this way. If, you, if the customer is not in citizens and they're with travelers, that's the ultimate goal of it. Um, so, I mean, there, there again, have been a couple agents that come in and are just like, but what am I going to get? And I immediately tell them you're not right for this. That question itself, <laughs> you're not right for this, this group. And therefore, like, we're not even going to continue this conversation. Um, it blows my mind. You know, I, I know this is difficult for a lot of people to understand, but I mean, the what's in it for me mentality is just not something that's ever resonated with me ever. I mean, it may have be a result of the fact I grew up playing team sports where you never were, you know, the one person that everything surrounded. Maybe if I had grown up as an avid golfer, A, my golf game would be much better today. <laughs> and B, you know, it would have all boiled down to me. But I mean, I think that's one of the biggest flaws in our industry is just the amount of greed that can manifest itself. Right. And now I will also say on the flip side of that, there's guys like Bob Klinger and other people that do a tremendous amount of giving for their communities and they're all over the place and they, they offset that, but I'm a hundred percent with you. I mean, you can use, I can tell if I'm going to get along with somebody probably in the first two questions that they answer that I ask or just in normal conversation. And, and I hate to be that way, but I mean, the, the average, I, I can, I, I take people and I, I combine them in one of two classes. You're either a problem solver or you're a product salesman, period. So if you're an insurance salesman, we're not going to get along because you're more worried about selling a product than you are solving a problem. And again, that doesn't matter whether your personal lines, individual health, whatever you're out there, you know, building is an asset base in your agency. To me, the actual sale of the product is the funding mechanism that pays for your services to ultimately solve the problem that the people have. I think that's great that you guys can manage it that way. I would prefer everything in life be that way. I know that I have integrity and that my handshake and my word is my bond and that I will keep that no matter what. And I've proven it time and time again. I just wish that I could do that with everybody because it would be so much more simple. Yep, me too. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> no, you, you, you got that right. Talk to us about your other niche, the Haggerty Girl stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the Haggerty portion... Um, I mean, you should tell that been... story about how you got known as Haggerty Girl, <laughs> including like when you were in the grocery store and you're yeah. recognized as Haggerty Girl. Um. So I would go to the car shows. I mean, and I, in, in some years I would do like 30 car shows a season. Um, and so year after year, as people would come by, they couldn't remember my name, but they would just say like, Hey, they walk by and they'd be like, Hey, it's the Haggerty girl. 
And for years, it annoyed me. I was like, I have a name, <laughs> you know, come on. And then I was at the grocery store and I hear down the aisle, hey, it's the Haggerty girl. And so we're talking back and forth. And there is a couple that was in the produce aisle that's right next to the milk. And I could just tell that they were hovering for quite some time. And when these guys walked away, they turn around and they're like, I'm sorry, who are you? And I was trying to explain, <laughs> like, you know, well, the Haggerty girl, like I do a lot of classic car insurance, whatever. It's just what people call me. Um, but I ended up, you know, communicating with them and walked away from that going, wow, I should really embrace this and capitalize off of it instead of being annoyed that I'm always called, you know, like, this is what I'm recognized for. This is what, you know, they keep my face with. Um, so I yeah. went to Haggerty and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, this is my vision for it can I get approval to do this? And they gave me the approval to use the name. Um, and I just started doing Facebook advertising. You know, Nick Ayers um, taught me how to figure out who my target market is, how to, you know, locate them, how to hyperlocate when I'm at shows. And so it gave us the ability to um, just start driving that business and then everything that comes off of it. Um, so all the like vendors, t-shirt vendors, auto parts, garages, all of that stuff just kind of grew outside of that niche. Um, but it, So it, you're actually like moving into like commercial arena and other things as a result of what originally started out as you having a niche in classic cars. That's almost identical to how Klinger built his niche markets out, right? He started out with dry cleaners and the next thing you know, He's writing literally every Asian business concept known to man because they all knew each other and it just became, yeah. hey, call, call Bob. Call. I would have named my agency Call Bob or something because <laughs> that's literally what you know everybody was saying. That That is wild that you can take something that focused and then spin it out and literally milk it for, for everything that you can, can get out of it. And Haggerty, again, that's another one. It's kind of quirky, right? Then there's some nuances to – how you place business with them and what they actually cover versus like, I don't know. Why don't you explain that? I don't know how many people even know what Haggerty does. You could probably tell them enough to where they're going to say, Oh, I just need to refer all of this over to Haggerty girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, it's, you know, knowing the exotics, knowing, you know, everything about a car and will Haggerty accept it. I mean, they, they are by far the best company and they, they do classic autos. They do classic motorcycles. They do race day. Um, they do wooden boats is how they actually got started. Um, but it's a fully agreed policy. Um, and they also have a com total commercial network that goes through and does all their garage, all of like car clubs, things like that. So it's, it's been an easy transition to bring in, but that it's, they're very unique and it's a very low cost um, agreed value. So I can go in and put a $50,000 agreed value policy on a Ford truck and it's like $300 a year, but wow. it, they have to have a garage. They have to have certain things like that. And in my mind, I went, okay, well they own three other cars and they have three classic cars that have to be a garage in California. So what does this mean to me? It means that they've got a larger home. That's going to be able to do that. So they're going to be more affluent. Most of them are business owners. They're doing something within the garage network um, and or they know other really rich people. And so it, it became a 
if I want to grow these different sectors, yeah, this policy may pay me $10, but I'm going to be able to cross sell it into, you know, 2,500 in revenue from that. How stringent are they about what they'll take? I mean, I'm asking at this point for selfish reasons. You don't know this, but it's not a well-kept secret in certain circles that my goal to reward myself when I hit a certain benchmark at, at Florida risk is to buy myself an R8, an Audi R8 Spider. So I have no idea what it's going to cost me to insure it. Quite frankly, don't care because I'm going to buy it either way. But I, I'm in, I'm interested so, yeah. in what you know what that looks like. A is that something they would take, and B when you place that coverage for me, what does that look like from a pricing standpoint? So on an exotic car like that, um, you know, it just, it's going to depend on the value. It's about $150 for every 10000 in coverage is the way it's done. Now, if you have, um, you know, on an exotic car like that, they are going to want you to have a certain amount of mileage on it. You have to have other primary use vehicles. And in Florida, it's going to have to be garage like it is in California. Um do you, you know, in, in your case, it's going to depend on if they accept it, how much high performance driving experience do you have? So there is that thing <laughs> that says, you know, is this his very first like high performance car that he's going to go ram into? Because what they know is that people are going to get those cars. They're going to hot dog them around. They're going to show them off. They're going to let other people drive them because look at my car. And so they want to make sure that responsibility wise, when they charge you a thousand dollars for that hundred and eighty thousand dollar car, you're not going to just go smash it up. How much performance driving experience do you have, David? <laughs> I would, li- I would literally look like Richard Gere in Pretty Woman when he gets behind the <laughs> steering wheel of the Lotus. Yeah. There is so, no, I mean, look, I, I, the thing is, they, they're not stick anymore for starters, right? So it's an automatic transmission. So that piece of it really doesn't bother me. Um, my biggest concern would be that my son, who will then be 18 because he's 17 now, somehow snags the keys to that thing and gets loose with it. That would be my biggest concern. I have zero concern about me doing donuts in it, peeling out any of that. You know, I would be <laughs> low risk if I spend that kind of money on a car, but I could see my kids stealing it. And trash well, and, and Haggerty has that same fear. So they will automatically exclude anybody under the age of 25 in that household. Hmm. So your fear would be real and you'd want to put it with, if you think that that's an option for you, you know, like you're probably going to want to place it someplace other than Haggerty. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'd like to think the best, but I've, you know, I I know who his parents are. (laughs) I'm I'm taking the under on all of that. (laughs) So what kind of classics are you working with? What's your collection look like? You got to have something. No, I don't. I actually just bought a 2019 Mustang. Um, That's about as close as it has (laughs) that I've gotten. Um, I'm really sticking out for a 65 convertible Mustang. Like that's probably the only classic that I want to own at this point. Um, But yeah, it just hasn't happened. I haven't found one either in the price range or in the condition that I want because I don't want to have to do a total rehab on it. Sure. I want it to be pretty good, but so what other niche stuff are you digging around in outside of Haggerty Girl in in the, the Fair Plan stuff that you're doing? Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you're you're rocking with right now? No, I mean I think that you know the Haggerty rolls into that garage, right? So that's one that I'm I'm building up and 
becoming more right. Like I, I got four garage keeper referrals just this week. And it's just because though, again, those people talk to each other and they go, no, I just got this or talk to her um, type of thing. And then, you know, everything else is property driven. It's all that high risk. So anything that everybody else goes, yeah, I really don't want to mess with that. So older homes, Kydex plumbing, all that kind of stuff is really where we've built the, you know, if, if they get so many denials, they just immediately call me, you know, IOA, like I, I probably get about 15 instant messages a day from agents going, where do I place this? What do I do? Um, type of thing. So, and that's not just high fire. It's really any property in California, farm, whatever it is, I'm going to get pinged and say, like, what do I do? So understanding this stuff, you know, in some cases is perceived higher hazard, obviously, you know, with the classics and the exotics, those are high ticket items. How do you manage your loss ratio with all of that? You know, so knock on wood, um, we, I, I had one, I've only had one claim on my Haggerty book um, in six years under this agency. And that was the shop didn't tighten the wheel and he drove off and it came off. Um, so technically it's no longer a loss because it got segregated to the garage um, that failed to tighten the cart, you know, but that portion of that book, I mean, it's most of those people rarely drive the cars, they drive them like babies. So we don't right. see a lot there. Um, on the high fire side, again, very lucky at this point, um, we've had fires come up to a couple of the houses. Um, but you know, a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that we send elsewhere, we send elsewhere because I look at it and I go, I wouldn't want to ensure that. You've got trees butted up. You're not managing. You're not doing your defensible space, things like that. Um, so we have a lot of, I have a lot of background from being a wildfire underwriter at Allied to being able to look at a home, look at the access points. I use a lot of GIS mapping to be able to look at what the fire danger is. Um, so I think that we've been really good at being able to manage our loss ratios there because we don't take every home that comes and knocks on our door. We do a really good like, upfront underwriting to make sure. It, it seems like an easy fix to the fire situation would be for everyone to just have a moat around their house. <laughs> would think, right? But the canopy <laughs> makes the fire. I mean, it just drops. I mean, we're just in California. We're probably what you guys saw in Florida, right? Before every home gets wiped out here. I mean, it's 1967 construction. You've got cedar lap siding, you know, up in the middle of the mountains. You've got trees hanging over. Like, we moved up here because we love our trees, right? And they're preppers with, like, 50 gallons of gas in the garage right? stored up in yeah. case something you've got contractors, bad. empty cars. You have all this stuff that sits all over the place. So having that, I mean, we do an, an enormous amount of public education. I go out and, and talk at fire councils. I talk at board of supervisor meetings. I mean, we do a lot of Facebook, um, you know, just education in general, where we're, we're helping to create the first entire county wise of fire wise um, community status. So it, I, I think helping to educate people, especially our customers, on how to maintain your prop your property properly has really helped keep our loss ratios down. Um, higher deductibles, things like that. Um, you know, we just have a conversation with everybody about the proper way to manage your water losses. Everything is just a big risk conversation right from the start. Is that content that you'll send out like over the course of the year on like a drip marketing thing? Or is it something that you talk about when you're bringing people on? What's that look like? 
Yeah, so we talk about it during intake, but I also I run I run Facebook groups. So for counties, so my biggest one is El Dorado County Insurance, and so I create YouTube videos that explain the defensible space. We share a lot of defensible space information, um, and I, it really gets driven a lot through there. It's not only where the majority of my customers sit. When I sell them a policy, I say, hey, by the way, join this group. And as changes happen in the marketplace, we're going to we're going to report them here first. Mm-hmm. Keep track of what I told you your scores were. And if I say, hey, this company is now taking up to a fire line six, then call me. We'll check it. Right. We're going to do mm-hmm. this upon your renewal. But sometimes, you know, that might be nine months from when this change happened. And if we can do something, don't worry about it. Just shoot us a call. We'll reshop it for you. Gotcha. So I want to go back and touch on something from earlier on. You had mentioned that Nick had helped you with the stuff that he did. And I, I remember you were the very first person who signed up for made you look, if I'm not mistaken. One of, I think so, so. One of the ones. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me I, I'm in there too. I've obviously, you know, learned a good bit from, from him about how to uh, leverage YouTube advertising. I think it's something that's still, even though Nick is out shouting from the mon- uh, mountaintops, how powerful, it is and can be agencies all across the country could do it and don't for whatever reason, they're completely missing the boat, which I'm perfectly fine with because it allows people who are utilizing it to be successful. How have you leveraged that? I mean, what, what types of campaigns have you run? What have you seen that has been the most successful? And then I'll share, I'll share the one that, uh, that we did that was the most successful, which was also the biggest train wreck at the same time. (laughs) Um, so I, I, I'm actually one of those people that Nick hates, right? I signed up for the course. I, I watched it. I did everything. And then um, paradise happened out here and we got so super busy that I literally can't, if I advertise, I'm going to get inundated to the point where it's going to fail. Um, so everything that I utilized from him, I did prior um, through the Facebook um, videos that I did and so when I go back to like Haggerty, right, Haggerty approved my Haggerty girl, um, but I don't think that they expected it to be as successful as it did. And so after a couple months of Nick going, yeah, check this, you know, check this one versus this one, then run it as this type of ad through here. I finally got that niche of exactly who was responding, right? Like, 35 years age to 60 in the mountains was like my target audience, right? These guys loved me. They loved Haggerty Girl. They clicked on the link more than anybody. So I ran a campaign and over two days, it got over 3000 hits. Well, Haggerty gives you um, basically a link that says, Hey, if they, if you click this link, it's going to automatically go through, it's going to look like Haggerty, but it's assigned to your agency. And we as a company, we're going to call on those for you. We'll actually help you close those, whatever. You still get 100% commission. It broke the link, which then sent to tech, which then tech said, what the hell's happening? And it went, ended up at higher up in Haggerty. Um, so it, it caused a thing where Haggerty went, well, well, there might be some brand confusion. We're not sure we want to allow you to use this. Um, so The power in it that I saw, which is why I was one of the first to jump on the YouTube portion, was that Nick knows so much of what he's doing and how to get it out there and how to make these convert that I played with Facebook for years prior to and had no idea any of what I was doing. I mean, I was boosting posts. I was doing all that stupid crap that was throwing down my money. 
So that campaign alone showed me the power of what he's doing. And I can still at any point in time, I can launch one of those and get like a hundred quote requests within hours on Haggerty. And this in late breaking news, Haggerty has announced it is now going to be known as Aurora <laughs> Millette Insurance Company. going. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I think it's funny because, you know, one of the things Nick talks about is if you don't have processes in place that good advertising magnifies bad processes. And so I did, I was not heavily involved in IAOA until I went to innovation when it was in Vegas. Um, with your epic coin pose that I, that I, that I remember. And by the way, I'm in complete control of the artwork for the thumbnail for this episode. So you you never had, you have no idea what's coming and where it's coming from until I actually release it. And I remember everything. So, um, that That being said, that being said, um, you know, I remember being out there and I was talking with Justin Sloan and a couple of other people about some of the automation stuff that we had in place because I was launching HubSpot as our CRM and putting all of the workflows and, you know, marketing campaigns and ticketing for our service people and all of that. And um, I remember him saying, why don't you have personal lines in your agency, man? You're just leaving money on the table. You already have all of the things you need to do it. So, for whatever reason, I came back and that was that was the absolute worst shiny object I ever could have done was I ended up launching personal lines when I came back. And so I got in Made You Look. I was already in Made You Look at the time. And we ran an ad for BMW owners that just went absolutely berserk. Like I did it because three of us drove BMWs. And we, so I knew we would have the vehicles to tape the ad. And I spent like a thousand dollars in ad spend on YouTube for that week. We got, I don't remember, it was either 125 or 135 leads out of it. And we wrote between 1.1 and 1.2 million in premium from that single ad. Wow. Eight, $850,000 of it is an ambulance company. Then we wrote some workers' comp policies off of it. We wrote minimal personal lines from the ad, actually. What we found out was that people who own businesses and make decisions drive BMWs. And when that ambulance guy got on the phone with me, I was this dog wasn't letting go of that bone. Like I was going to latch onto that because I was way more comfortable talking about those things. But what what I learned from that process is a it works and you can drive a significant amount of traffic, but B, if you don't have the processes in place to chase these people around and text them and call them and all the things I really don't want to do, then you're going to fail miserably in it. So we shut it off and I've not run a single YouTube campaign since because I've not been happy with where the processes were from a operation standpoint internally. So I'm just now getting to the point where probably in the next month or two, we'll start doing it again, but it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I do know a little bit about digital marketing, but I've never drilled down to the level that that, now it's crazy. I mean, it's, it's just absolutely nuts. No human should know that much information about marketing (laughs) on the internet. Yeah. We're, we're setting up. I mean, we brought better agency in. we're actually bringing a VA in and for the same concepts, like Mm -hmm. 
I already know this works and I already know what I want to go after, but I need to have the back end because at this point, it's it, it ultimately ends up just on me where I'm quoting, I'm marketing, I'm the face, I'm, you know, presenting and so much drops out the back end because I can only talk to one person once and I send it out and I'm like, great, if they love it, they'll call me back, right? But uh, sometimes that doesn't happen. And if I just had that drip marketing going out there saying, hey, it's been 24 hours, you know? Um, yeah, and from what I know about it in the, in the feedback I've gotten from friends that are using Better Agency, they it's pretty much plug and play. Like they they turn it on and turn the campaigns on that are in there and boom, like it just starts working its magic. Yeah. That's what I need the VA for. I need that VA <laughs> when the information comes back, put it into the system and go through. I can't I met capacity, which is a great thing problem to have, right? But Oh yeah, I'll never complain. Ticket, about- it's just going to go out the backyard. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it agreed. You you have to have the ability to handle that stuff, or you know, your advertising is just advertising how terrible you are at following up on things. You know, yeah. and that's that's what I found. Um, even even if that's the perception is not the reality. Like some of these BMW leads, it, it blows my mind. You would expect intent because they click to go do a questionnaire to make sure that they qualified for the exclusive BMW owners program. And the next thing you know, it's like, what? I didn't, I didn't request anything. I didn't call anything. I have zero patience for that kind of stuff. Like, Listen, loser, you did, and here's when you did it, and here's the timestamp of your survey, and here's your IP address, and now I'm going to retarget you on Facebook and make fun of you every time you log in. So, whatever. Well, listen, I, you know, we're wrapping up now. We're coming up on an hour. You are a very giving person, and I want to help you receive in uh, in return for that. So we appreciate you spending the time for us today. But I know there's a lot of agencies out there that have no interest in doing the stuff that you're doing. And if you do have an interest, there's a likelihood that you're not qualified. I'm not saying everybody, but there is a yeah. likelihood you're not qualified to do it. How do they find you? What States are you writing in? Are you licensed everywhere? What States are you writing in and how can they find you to have you help them look good in front of their clients by placing business? They shouldn't be placing. Yeah, we are in the Western um, 10 States. So basically Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, pushing out to Colorado. Um, and I mean, they they can email us. The quickest way is info, info at iiprotect.com. You can ping me an instant message, but again, I, I probably get about 100 instant messages a day. Sometimes it's, you're going to sit there for a while because I either overlook it or you're in my spam folder. So that's the fastest and easiest way to communicate us, to get help if you have a lead or you need something to be handled. But we do the high fire. We do the high risk stuff all throughout the 10 Western states. And then, yeah, anything classic car wise and, any, you know, boats, all that kind of stuff. We're, we do it all. I have, I have one other question and I should not have had you introduce like how to get a hold of you before I ask this, because I don't want people thinking that we're in it. I ask this of every female that comes on, the program because I want to find out your experiences, but have you found the path to be any more resistant to you in this industry as a female agency principal or a female producer based on what you, you perceive the path is for me? Um, 
Yeah, I wouldn't say difficulty wise, right? I'm a I'm a pretty strong individual. I I will communicate where I need to communicate. Um, I'd say, you know, we, we've talked about this. My business partner, um, who's a female, also talked about this. I think the thing that we struggle with the most is let's say that all four of us are sitting at a table and you walk away and I say, hey, this would be a really great idea or this is really profitable and people hear it. And then you could come back down and say the same thing. And then every guy at the table would be like, oh, my God, David, that's awesome. Thank you. I say that's probably the thing that we strike up hmm. the most um, resistance on is just, you know, that somehow the idea is better if it comes from a man to a man than a, that's interesting. a man. <laughs> so how do we solve that? I think that that, I mean, for me, I, I think it's like any other bias, right? Um, any other thing where it, it's just a lifelong for a lot of, a lot of individuals, it's just a lifelong um, process that they have to realize that if they take help from a woman as a man, that they're not weak, right? It's, it's something internally that they have to go through. Um, so I, I'd say yeah. probably like be open to all, um, you know, all suggestions out there. I think it's interesting because, you know, I do think it's a problem and it's one that I recognize and one that I do everything I can to not contribute to. And I interviewed with the with the first agency that I, I went to work with. And one of the partners told me just very point blank, you know, there were two female partners, two male partners. And the one female said the other one thinks you have a problem with women. I was like, I love women. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I have no problems with women at all. I said, I'm, I'm interested as to why they would say that. And so she filled me in on some of the details. It, it actually was a really simple thing. It wasn't that I had a problem, necessarily have a problem with women. It's that I had been in meetings with that same partner three different times. And this was my first time of meeting the other one. So I engaged more with, with the man that I did her just because she had already heard my story a million times. Shame on me should have been more cognizant of the fact that I needed to be inclusive in conversation. But I mean, it, for me, it, it's like all of the other stuff that we're dealing with right now, you know, look, I'm not a political person. I don't put my religious or political views out there. I, you know, I believe people should have good manners and do things that are right. Unfortunately in society today, that seems to be somewhat impossible regardless of what side of the fence you, you sit on. But until we realize that there are things that happen that we don't recognize are an issue, that, that's actually part of the problem is because we don't, we don't recognize it. And for me, you know, in my mind, I think there's a lot of people out there that are good people and in their mind they don't even realize because they just don't think that way. But it doesn't mean that their actions dictate their thought process all the time. And so I'm going to leave with that. Guys, do a better job. Come on. If you get up and you come back and then there's an idea on the table for crying out loud, you know, let it let it ride. But I, I think we all need to do a better job. And that's one of the things I would challenge everybody coming out of this episode is, number one, don't be what you're not. You know, if there's somebody out there that understands classic cars better than you do, don't be greedy. You're going to end up costing yourself more money in an E&O case than you would be just to refer it and you'll still look like a superstar, especially when you can refer it to somebody trustworthy like Aurora who's not going to poach the rest of your account. And the other thing is be aware of exactly what the circumstances are at all times. Know when you're going into a meeting. Know when you're in that lunch conversation, that dinner conversation, that sometimes 
just one little word tweaks the way everything that you say is perceived, whether you mean it that way or not. Absolutely. Kyle, True. you got anything else? I don't. That was that was well said. Good deal. Well, listen, Aurora, thank you so much. You. Stay tuned. Your artwork is already in my head. It's a matter of what it looks like when it hits the canvas. So it's going to be a good one, though. I can promise you it's going to be epic. We appreciate you being on today. Have a great rest yep. of the week. Okay? You too. Have a great day. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.